You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast that explores love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak. And I'm Sophia Alexandra. And this is the moment you have all been waiting for. That's right, babies. It is the happy ending to our Tokyo series. Which it literally ends in a happy ending. This is totally unexpected, you guys. We did not go to Tokyo intending to be sex tourists, but sex tourists we became. We couldn't help it. Some things are kind of destined for you. You know what I mean? We didn't expect this, but this is how it turned out. If you heard on the last episode, Hiroko dared us, basically, at the end of the episode. She said, I want you guys to get a male prostitute. And we were like, maybe we will. Challenge accepted. (laughs) Exactly. It felt like she was like, oh, put your pussy where your mouth is. You know what I mean? Like... (laughs) If you're out here trying to discover stuff about love and sex in Tokyo, why don't you see what it's like to become part of sex work? And we are so grateful. Oh, my God. Uh, Unexpected, but still a blessing. Going to send Hiroko an edible bouquet in Japan. I don't know if they have that, but I'm going to make sure she gets one. I'm sure they have like a freakier version, edible panty (laughs) delivery or some edible panty bouquet. Yeah, super popular. (laughs) (laughs) So you guys, this is our last night. Basically, what we are bringing you today is our last night in Tokyo. We had a blast. We would have had a blast had we not even gotten a happy ending massage, but we got one. Um, so first off, we stopped at a place called Piss Alley, which is iconic Japanese with the lanterns. It's like a narrow alley. Dudes used to get super, super lit in this alley and blow their whole paychecks. And it's also called Memory Lane. Yeah. How hilarious is it that it's both Piss Alley and Memory Lane? <laughs> the, <laughs> the bridge between the two is I think you get so drunk, you piss all your memories away. Otherwise, I just don't think that they're on the same coast of names. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So we went to Piss Alley. We had a little bit of sake there. Then we headed over to the Golden Guy, another I would say, must-see spot. Didn't everybody suggest that to us, Sophia? Yeah, they did. And I feel like, honestly, Golden Guy was my favorite place that we went in Japan. I don't know Mm. if you feel the same way, but I was just exposed to a culture of these like tiny mini bars that fit about six people each. And just seeing how many of them there are stacked one upon another all through the alleys and how every single proprietor has like their own vibe and that determines what the place looks like and what alcohol they serve and what music is playing. I loved it. And we actually tried a bunch of different spots and then we landed on, I think, the best spot in the whole freaking place. I Um, agree. It's this Pampelion butterfly place. Um, It was so cool. It had the most amazing 
older lady proprietor, which is a rare thing. And she served us little snacks. We paid a little cover. We got super lit on sake. There was a couple sitting next to us that were great conversationalists. And we just had a blast there. But we had to leave. It was lovely and it was intimate. We wanted to stay there forever eating her homemade potato salad, which was so fucking good. The potato salad was so It was so good. And then she had like poached chicken. It was like just so tender. Anyway, and we were like, we have to go. So we got on a cab, our first cab in Japan, because we had to meet our next uh, interview in Ginza. And we were already late. So yeah, this was our first cab in Tokyo because the public transportation is amazing there. And Ginza's gorgeous. Ginza's like sparkly and all the most amazing shops are there. It's like Balenciaga and you know, all the fancy shit, Louis Vuitton. Basically stores we would not shop at, but that we were like, oh wow, this looks nice. Yeah, they were saying that the guys waiting in cars outside are like waiting for Yakuza. They said if you see a town car and someone just in there chilling for hours, it's the Yakuza transportation and they're waiting for the bosses to be done, like entertaining themselves with the girls before uh, they take them home. Yeah, because in Ginza, tucked in between all these brand name shops that we all know and love are these little kind of grungy sex clubs, basically. But they're delightful. We went to one called the Black Heart. Yeah, it's an S&M club. And we went with a friend who generously paid our cover because he just wanted to expose us to the whole thing. He was very cool. You're going to hear from him in the interview. He is going to remain anonymous because he has a job where you can't have all your your sex information on the internet, which, fair enough. Yeah, not everyone's a degenerate podcaster slash comedian. <laughs> we totally get it. Some people yeah. have real jobs. <laughs> But Blackheart was amazing. We were entertained by these three ladies. They were dressed in, what, Sophia? Latex, bustiers, mm-hmm. uh, One was corsets. wearing latex that was, like, nude-colored, and the others were in, like, more traditional lingerie, bustier, like, fishnet kind of stuff. They all looked amazing. Their makeup was on point. They looked appropriate for the job. We were happy to be in their company. Um, (laughs) And there were a few other customers while we were there. It was a small place. I would say it fit maybe like 10 comfortably. Yeah. Um, And there was a couple actually... They weren't a couple. They were strangers. There were two people who had met that night who were tying... The guy was tying the woman up. Yeah. Um, So, you know, Shibari, I don't know if you know this, it's like erotic rope stuff. You can look it up. It's really beautiful. But these two people did not know each other until that night. And we saw the man tie the woman up and it was so cute. And we couldn't hear or understand what they were saying. But we were picturing that he was like, oh, so you like to get tied up? And she was like, oh, so you like to (laughs) tie people up? And they were like, oh, my God, this seems like a really good meeting because it was a really, really cute thing. They were both fully dressed, which was interesting. Uh But you could tell they were like vibing, right? Like it seemed like a first date energy. Total first date energy. And after they were done, they went off to the side and they had a drink together. So I I feel T- like they might be B- together to this day. <laughs> I don't know. I was going to say to be continued for sure. <laughs> that night got a little bit crazy in one of their apartments or a love hotel. Yeah. I hope they're quarantined together right now. Me too. Um, 
Oh, this was another uh, fun detail from the S&M Club is... Uh, the lovely ladies, as they were chatting with us, they kept wiping the sweat off the glasses. So with your cover, they give you sake or whiskey. Yeah. And every time they pour you a little glass, you don't even notice, but they wipe the condensation off when you're not looking and refill you. So you have no idea how much you've drank. Yeah, it is a very Vanna White kind of situation. It happens and you don't even really realize it. They're so graceful with it. It's amazing. You get so fucking trashed because you don't realize how frequently they're refilling you. Like you just take one sip and then it's back all the way full. So by the time we left, uh, then at the S&M bar, Courtney and I were really lit. Yeah, you guys are about to hear because we head upstairs where there's another bar, a more straight bar, less erotic bar, um, and we interview our friend. And you guys are about to hear your girls at maybe our loosest that we've ever been on this podcast. So I hope you enjoy. (laughs) Yeah, sorry for all the munching sounds. That's me shoveling free caviar in my mouth. So sorry about that in advance. Courtney tried to cut out the worst of it. Here we go. So you are into S&M, right? No, I'm not. Not? This is just part of life here. How did you find the whole scene or how did you discover? Welcoming. (laughs) No, welcoming in the sense that you don't need to be a niche person into it. You don't need to be part of the community to be accepted. And therefore, you can be on the fringe and partake if you need to, have an interest, but also pull out of it. You don't need to befriend everybody. You just partake occasionally, have friends. If you want to go deeper, then you go to certain sessions or events and you just come out of it. So there's no commitment. But what was your introduction to it? Just getting to a bar. That's all it is because it's what it is. But how did you know about the bar? Because you just walk past in front of a bar. We're in the middle of the most, we're in the middle of the Japanese Champs-Élysées. Okay, but when you drive by, you see Chanel, you see Louis Vuitton. Balenciaga. You see, that's what you see on the ground level of these places. So you're not seeing exactly the lifestyle that you're talking about. Yeah, you're but seeing it's something just else. there, but it's in front of you. But how do you know? So how did you wind up inside? <laughs> because it's as interesting as going to McDonald's. It, you you want to have something quick for fun. Mm-hmm. And you know you're in Japan. You know it's going to be safe. Um, it, it, it's going to be... It's going to be... It's going to be safe. So it's not going to be dodgy. Especially in the middle of Ginza. If you were in... Ikebukuro, you could say, there's an argument to say, all right, would you be ripped off? Possibly, if you're in Roppongi as well, for that matter. But it's not that excessive. I mean, the problem with Roppongi would be more of a, <laughs> if you went to a bar held by foreigners, and you could basically drop something in your drink. That That's highly possible. Is it? Really? Yes. Uh, I've seen quite a few establishments where people did wake up in the morning almost naked in the street, not having any recollection what happened during the night oh without my. their wallets. 
But these are rare still. I mean, com comparatively, the ratio is extremely low. And here, again, we're in the middle of a highly reputable area. There's no need for this. People will pay. So I'm curious, we have had some experiences that we were not expecting. Such as? Where we went in just to get dinner totally innocently <laughs> and were turned away in a nearly empty restaurant because it seemed like because we were white or American or something like they that. They want us, for sure. Yes, <laughs> it very much still happens. And you're in the middle of Tokyo. Think about what happens if you're in the countryside. Mm -hmm. um, there are different levels of that onion that you can peel. Uh, a could be simply nobody can speak English and they assume that you don't speak a word of Japanese. Mm -hmm. The assumption it tends to be on pro I mean, you have to think the states occupied Japan for quite a while after the war. People never bothered to learn the language. Um, and the assumption, the assumption remained the same until pretty much the past five, ten years we had a, more of an influx of, you know, guys raised with Goku and that's it. So I would, I would arguably say the average person in the population accepts the fact that the, the, non, the, the white person will probably, or the Caucasian looking person or the non-Japanese looking person mm -hmm. will probably not be able to speak Japanese on average, or not good enough not to express themselves, especially in the event of an issue. So that's the issue, that's why they I would, I would, No, I wouldn't say that's the issue, but I would argue that that's a prerogative for it. Now, of course, there's an element of racism that happens, and we have to accept it, like, and, and it's much easier to conceal, therefore, right? Uh, let's not be naive. But I would, on, on the whole, say, the pain of dealing with a non-Japanese or a non-Japanese speaker is actually quite difficult. Sure. And therefore, for especially a person who non, not necessarily does not want to deal with non-Japanese, but doesn't want to deal with a person who doesn't understand Japanese mm. values, which is actually more important than actually Japanese fluency. Um, when you came here. Mm -hmm. Were you somebody that enjoyed doing kind of sexual stuff that's slightly off the beaten path? As you know, being raised in the countryside like myself, we start a little bit earlier than everybody in the urban area. In terms of sexual development? Of course. Oh, really? Because there's nothing else to do. That's so you counter, just experiment. That's counter to the, um, the stereotype, but I think there's some truth to that. Okay, go anywhere in Japan in the countryside at the age of 20, 21, 22, you're already married with a couple of kids. Totally, totally. Right? If you go to my area where I was raised, same story. By the age I've got guys, I know people at my age already have sons and daughters that are 15. Wow. And I'm, 30, I'm 37. So that gives you an idea of how progressive they tend to be because there's nothing else to do in the summer. So you do other people. <laughs> um, and therefore, I, I, I would say, I first came... Say even the client serves you here. Um, drink clients as well serve you here. I love it. Um, but I, I would say that... 
Oh, there's more. Oh, she must have dished off. Oh, yeah. too much, too much. Thank you. Thank you. She must have. So, as I was saying, um, mm. orange candies. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy yourself. Um, um, yeah, I I came first came here and I was always like women older than me. <laughs> when you? I was younger. Yeah, of course, because they could teach me a lot more. How many years? Well, you know, when you're 12, 13, you, you can only aim for two, two years older than you at best, right? That's I mean now. <laughs> I mean now. Uh, today, today doesn't really matter. Oh, okay. Today it doesn't really matter. The fetish uh, is over. Uh, it depends who can do what, who can teach me what. The thing is, uh, I was privy to have a 40-year-old partner when I was 18 for oh. three months and that taught me a lot more than mm. basically anything in my world um, a 40 year old woman will do that of course she knows a lot she knows, of shit. she knows her body she knows what she wants and she oh. she knows how to determine things she controls the situation but she can develop the little men that is out there and when you're 18 you just grow out of this very quickly because you understand a lot quicker how to make a woman come it, and that's actually down to she, she, it's basically a very quick education it's a graduation from university very quickly uh, <laughs> and you don't have to go through the hey let's switch off the light it's none of that it's no <laughs> i'm 40 you're 18 i expect you to go for 12 hours buddy and i'm going to teach you the ropes but you're gonna, you are the marathon man. But in that the work, is pretty hot. I love that you got that education. Well, it, it has helped quite a bit. <laughs> um, because because it has helped. That's simple as this. Because, um, I think regardless of the culture, um, a person who has developed in their late teens, say their first sexual experiences, the age of 16, 17, 18, um, has had let's just say even in, in our generation which is slightly pre the pretended has had a few sexual partners of course with now tinder i think that opens the doors for um, mm -hmm. i would say an accelerated education but is it quality quantity of quality is not necessarily the same Right. And I think this is the depth of what the sexual uh, partnership sh should... The, the imbalance is to, in today's world, where a lot of people may have quick fixes, but don't, are not necessarily very good at it. Mm. You have a lot of people who can play, and they spread a lot of STDs, but they don't necessarily... <laughs> they're not necessarily any better at doing their stuff, because they don't concentrate on what makes girl happy in the year and the guy can come by himself within like 90 seconds if you really want sure. to. Sure. Right? I can... Same for ladies, I would say. Well, some, some. Here's the thing. I think men think that it's so hard to make a woman come 
No, well, when we are by ourselves, of course, it's, uh, of course, no time. But that's, it's for the guy to guess what's going on in your brain because your brain is a lot harder to guess than our brain. It is, and I think one of the problems is is that we make you guess sometimes when we don't need to, as no, opposed that, to being like, do a, this, that's the US thing. go right, that's, go left. That's a US thing where there's a, a lot of guessing happening. Here, it's, here, it's a lot, uh, actually on the contrary here, it's a lot more where women don't even want to come because it's sex is a men's thing kind of thing. Where a lot that's of, so sad. It, of course, I'm not saying the opposite. Um, and that's why having that education has helped um, re-educating some of my ex-girlfriends at the time, uh, or for them to play to 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 be doing to partake, doing the Lord's um, work, <laughs> to to enjoy themselves. That's it. Uh -huh. But I would say, in, in terms of what I, the only thing that I may have learned in my short education, if I could say, would be simply that in sex, women have a lot more parameters and I think the parameters could be the setting, the lighting, the smells, the, the touch, the, 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 even the, I would say the equilibrium within are you lying down and some women get, I would say, more sensitive or um, more specific to what they like or like environmentally dependent? The, um, yeah, sens simply sensitive. There's certain more buttons that's all. That's all there is. Mm -hmm. Well, our buttons are quite, that's basically So unique. would you say <laughs> our brains are more complicated? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> our hormones are more complicated. We have much more complicated hormones, and I think that but plays I, into I, it. I think it's very, true. very much so. It, it's, it's, it, therefore, it's a much interesting challenge immediately to me. Then if, that's right, I think being gay for me would be really dull because... <laughs> Making a guy come, say, hey, I come, you come, that's it, or I can make you come like this, and <laughs> let's get out of this game. Whereas, for me, the challenge... Is caviar? Yes. You guys, She's this really is started. awesome as hell. Um, On the salt team, that's so crazy. Are you enjoying yourself? I'm Russian. I grew up eating this. And there you go. <laughs> I've never had but caviar on salt Just, I think the challenge of... Knowing how to push to push those buttons is actually a lot more interesting than than anything else. What what's the point of sex in itself is actually quite dull to me. Unless for me the the build up to it, the actual truth. The the no actually for me it's not to make a girl come. It's to get to the up to the climax and then go back and not to her. this is a lot more fun than actually going straight through it. Oh my God, sting! Tell it's kind of like <laughs> surfing, right? Yes, yes, uh, very much. Uh, uh, do you snowboard? No, but I'm a stand-up comedian, mm. and the way that I think of working when I'm on stage to me is very similar to what surfing oh, that makes is. Sense. It's surfing a crowd, mm. and you have to be very, very in touch with you what's the, happening. You want the consistency. Then you decide you, and therefore you're in control. Therefore, the S that we were discussing earlier. Yes, you control the rhythm. You control. control the, that's it. If you but find. there has to be inevitable, like peaks and valleys. Yes, it and doesn't that's, work. That's for the person to find out. That's yes. that's for me the challenging. But then just the phase two challenge. Phase two, I would say, entertainment for me. It's to control those parameters, knowing where the parameters are, whether they actually could actually be dynamic, so those parameters change over time, which they can, of yes. course. Um, 
and how over time whether it's within the actual relationship of the knight or it could be over time within a few weeks or months of depending on the relationship or the fantasy some people simply want to build up and so for some people just reach a certain level and they can't go more and therefore that that balance that dance i would say is actually very interesting for me Mm -hmm. At least, at the very least. I'm with you, for sure. So you're obviously, you don't have a Japanese accent, so... <laughs> can you tell us what some of the biggest things that you learned in your first couple years here were that were, like, kind of... A little of bit shocking to your yeah. system. When it comes down to sex in Japan? Yeah, sex, love, relationships, dating. Oh, yeah. yes. No, I don't think we have enough time. Any of those categories, <laughs> get in there. You well, pick. Clearly, clearly, this is a sex talk, so I might as well get straight into the most juicy stuff. I would say, uh, in Japanese, you and you probably know this word as well, maguro. Maguro means tuna in, J in Japan. You know it's also another word to say a plank of wood in bed. A person who does nothing. Now, there's... Oh, it's like a... What do we call that? A, a, a dead fish. Dead fish. In English and like in American slang, you're like, oh, God, that girl was a dead fish. Yes. Yeah, she's just well, like... Well, in, in Japan, it's just a tuna. There you go. Oh, oh, that's so funny. Um, I guess a tuna is a dead fish, fish in Japan. <laughs> in French, it's a whale. So there you go. Poor fish. No, I'm not having <laughs> sea, mam sea mammals and sea, sea, I would say, fauna uh, are, are not having a good time. But I would arguably admit 70% would be that. Now, the reason being, I'm just going to say, it's not necessarily a lack of experience, certainly not, uh, because they too tend to start fairly early. Um, I would simply say that it's a question of, on average, the culture here um, suggests that men should have their fun and girls should be just fairly submissive to the a whole tool. thing. Mm. Okay, so no, I'm can just saying the culture suggests, and, and therefore I'm measuring my words extremely well when I say that. But it, it doesn't necessarily mean that because the the whole um, gender relationship actually at work, uh, I would say at home, is actually the reverse, <laughs> where women have all the power and men oh, basically are given stipends. That's interesting. Uh, women, um, this on the education, what they where where they're going to buy the house, what kind of house they're going to buy, uh, where the kids are going to go to school, and so on and so forth. We call them Mrs. Watanabe. Watanabe being one of the most. Can Watanabe? Uh, well. Same same surname. So Watanabe is one of the most popular surnames, Sato, Suzuki, Watanabe. And the reason being is like, Mrs. Watanabe are, are called the retail investors in Japan. Retail investors in Japan are huge, much larger. I mean, Japan is one third of the population of the United States. Uh -huh. And yet retail investors, people who actually actively day trade, and we're talking about guys who go on the internet and uh -huh. day trade, it's far superior here. We're talking about not billions of dollars a month, but trillions of dollars a month. So they hold the finance, they hold the, the purse strings. Even though it's so patriarchal? It doesn't matter. Men bring the money, women manage the money. So who holds the power in the house? The manager. Exactly. Yes, hunty, it's our boy, man. Your, your employee can bring the money in, but in the end, it's the manager who manages the, the, the wallet. The boss. And there yeah. you go. One thing that's true about American households is um, most of the commercials are directed towards women. <laughs> because even though men might make the money, the women 
are the ones that decide how it gets spent. So all the commercials appeal to women because they'll be the ones making the decisions. I think that's a very similar concept here. It's just the fact that it's a little more implemented in the sense that, especially in more conservative households, men get stipends. Hey, Court, so uh, meeting sexual partners in real life has gotten kind of weird during the core, huh? Oh my God, so weird. Yeah, all of our single friends are suffering, okay? They want to connect with someone and they want that erotic intimacy and porn doesn't offer it, even though we love porn. So, you know, what are you going to do? Oh my God, Sophia, I have such a hot tip for those people right now. They should get on MyGirlFun.com because MyGirlFund allows you to form virtual connections with sexy, amazing women. Ooh, My Girl Fund was launched in 2009, and over the years, they formed an awesome community of sexy, friendly women to connect with. They're relatable, they're really cool, and they want to hang out. And we at Private Parts Unknown really believe that people should be paid for their labor. And it's very difficult for women to get paid for virtual adult work without risking personal exposure. Many women are willing to dirty chat or share nude content for money, but there's not that many safe and discreet platforms out there for them. Yeah, I love that My Girl Fund allows its female members to control their exposure. They connect with who they want to connect with. They get to control how they interact and decide what they charge for these interactions. It's a safe, private, discreet, and honestly super feminist adult community. There are no set prices for interactions and content. It's all negotiated one-on-one. Oh, and this is really great. So to support people who are trying to make ends meet from home right now, they're giving a $50 bonus to all women who sign up during April and reach $500 in contributions. You can join MyGirlFund.com for free. And for a limited time, you can become a lifetime premium member for less than five bucks when you visit MyGirlFund.com slash private. Yeah, that means you get discounted credits and bonus interaction features for life when you go to MyGirlFund.com slash private. The bulk of Western nations are based on Judeo-Christian values. So... Even if you if you uh, fade away the segmentation between different religions, the, 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 most of the uh, values of the time have actually evolved into some kind of, I would say, um, ideas of equality. Here, there's an idea of space where people has a role. Every, everyone has a role. And I'm not talking about gender at this point. I'm talking about everyone has a role. Therefore, you don't necessarily strive to go up in society. You simply strive to do good into what you do or supposed to be doing. And that's the, I think there's a different aspect to life. Therefore, you can be content by simply run, running a ramen shop, mm-hmm. right? For 15 years or 20 years. Not necessarily having to expand, despite the fact you're an entrepreneur, but simply doing a very good job of what you do, right? But what happens when your aspirations are Mm. bigger than that? Mm. And also, what happens for women that don't want to conform to the status quo? I'm, I'm not saying that this is the universal here. I'm just saying the base is slightly different. And therefore... For people, therefore, have different alternative aspirations. In, in Japan, there's a saying that uh, the nihilistic side needs to be hammered down, right? 
Say that again. The nail that sticks out needs, needs to, to be, be hammered, hammered down. down. Okay. Okay. Because everybody needs it's like to. Like you don't want to be you the one be that conform. sticks out. Exactly. You want to be conformist. That's so interesting because we've heard that it's a shame-based society, and that makes that tracks. And that like you wouldn't want to. You don't want to do anything that deviates from the norm, at and least on the surface. And then when it comes down to sex, it's exactly the same thing. You want to be the girlfriend who does like the other girlfriends. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily want to do what they want to do for themselves and enjoy mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you got offshoots. You've got the S&M bars. You've got the fringe. And you've got loads of fringes because you've got the floating, the concept of floating of the place where you can go and be yourself. Those very small islands outside. Where you can be, but then you go back to the normal world and you have to laugh at the same jokes that everybody has to laugh uh -huh. at because they have to laugh. It's simply a question of getting society to work together. That's what it is, and and people accept this. Think about it. You go down the street, everything is clean. You go down, shop. everything is clean. It's so no crazy. Trash. We literally the only place we saw trash was in the red light district, <laughs> and honestly, not that much compared it's to just, LA. Yeah, it's, it's not. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's be honest. It's not trashy trash. Yeah, no, yeah, not yeah. At all. Um, but otherwise, zero pieces of trash. In Wait, the, okay. Think about the status quo. Think about the status quo. Things work. I've been here more than fifteen years. Not one strike. Right. The last strikes that were in the late sixties in Japan. Right. Uh, trains are on time. They apologize for more than one minute on time. Right. Think about Amtrak for a second. Now. <laughs> We don't need to. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. You know the status quo works. You may not agree with it, but it's still far superior than when you look out and you go in other countries and like, okay, hang on a second. What's happening in France? Yeah, we've got democracy and we can, we argue about stuff all day. Yeah, but the thing is, you go to France on Christmas just before Christmas Day or after Christmas, nothing works. Then mm -hmm. you're stuck there. You're stuck in the airport sure. and so forth. Right. Same thing in the UK. Same thing so right. In the end, you make certain sacrifices for the sake of society, if it works. But nothing stops you to create little, your own little island if you need to. Now, yes, you don't thrive into your daily, oh, I'm doing going to, I have something that I want to be and I'm going to do this every day. No. But you have a society where things work. Now, work. I'm going to give you a quick example. In 2011, we had a fairly significant earthquake here. We didn't have any looting. We didn't have any of this. We had people at the end of their shifts went back home, walking home in line, not panicking. Would that happen if we were if it was in Los Angeles? Considering you guys have quite a few earthquakes. We've never freaked out. I don't know if you know this. We've literally We've never freaked out. We've through earthquakes. We've never crazy. tweeted about it. We've never <laughs> even Wait, commented you don't know about what, it. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know what a nine is yet. That's the no, thing. No, we're... Honestly, we're just joking. Um, I want to ask you a couple of things. Uh, one is, um, as someone that grew up in... Europe. Straddling, Europe. straddling, straddling cultures. Straddling different cultures. Would uh, how would you compare the attitude that Japan has <laughs> towards sex with other places in Europe that you've lived? Well, that's quite, well. I would say it, it's it's a sex was never related to religion here. 
Oh, we've heard this before. If you read um, uh, Sex and the Floating Room from Timon Screech, you'll see that... We have to go. Oh, you have to go. No, yeah. no, no, like, no, no, no. In we, like a couple minutes. Uh, we literally have to hear this. Sex and the Floating was a very good book from Timon Screech from the School of African Studies in, in, the, in the UK. Now, um, in one of my first ever paper that I had to write was how close was Japan the Edo period? Edo periods when Japan basically was closed to the world. So I switched the the paper it's that how open was japan and how open was it sexually speaking that was my first ever paper at university oh i love that and it was basically religion was promoting sexual activity on different terms and as i was talking about the the floating world so in the floating world anything went anything went Actually, having ch sex with children was actually more promoted than, hom especially homosexuality. With All right, okay. No, <laughs> no. Let him you, you guys want to go for it? No, you, tell, you tell us everything. Homosexuality <laughs> with with children was actually seen as a sign of purification from a Buddhist perspective. Now, after the age of twelve, so a lot of children were used in theaters, which were in the floating world. Post the age of 12, homosexuality was thing as, seen as something as frivolous. You said, why would you have sex with another man? It makes no sense. But with a boy child, that makes perfect sense. So the approach to sexuality versus religion or versus society was very different from what we had in the West. Therefore, the stance of it, what you do, the number of wives you could have, and so on and so forth, was almost divorce from religion. Religion would promote it more than anything else. And therefore, you, that, therefore you had all those alternative pornography came from Japan. You had plenty of pornography in Japan in the, in the 16th, 17th and 18th era, especially in, when Edo went out. Um, you also had bondage and all that kind of, um, lesbianism, uh, LGBTQ and alternatives. You, you, you would basically see as a basically fun simple as this and therefore sex in japan was also seen as a um what you do between your four walls down to you mm -hmm. and that is it there was no restriction now of course in the in, in the 20s 30s when things were becoming a little bit more conservative there was over to more what men should be and women should be there was a lot more of a segregation but i'd say be, behind the walls what you wanted to do still no rules about it and therefore there's no shame to it therefore whatever you want to do and that's that's why i would say arguably speaking today if you go to any convenience stores and you open any of the porn mags you will see Something which is very much akin to, you know, pedophiliac manga. You open any of the manga, you open any of the manga, you'll see this is basically, if that was sold in the United States, that would be illegal. Because the picture depicts a young schoolgirl being, or wanting to give a blowjob to any guy. Mm. Which is, of course, uh, messed up. I'm not saying the opposite about that. All I'm saying is to the basis of sex and the um, values were very different from the get-go. Okay, I know we're running out of time here. I want to talk a little bit about, because we're talking about this gender imbalance. Uh, we literally have to be done.
Okay, you know what is so funny about this? Is that actually there is five more minutes of this interview of me just trying to continue this conversation when I should be in a cab on my way trying to get jerked off. I literally was so mad when I was listening to this tape. I was like, leave, come on, go get your fucking happy ending. You're wasting your sex work time. Let's do this. (laughs) It's so funny because... I mean, the interview ends like really unceremoniously because I'm like, Courtney, we really have to fucking go. (laughs) You're like, okay, but can I ask one more question? I'm like, no, no, you can't. You're missing valuable comes for this. Okay. To our friend, you're like, maybe we'll call you on the phone or something, but we have to go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was like, just so many niceties can happen if I'm trying to get off. You know what I mean? Listen, I'm grateful because I was wasted. If you guys couldn't tell, I mean, you could tell. But I was lit. (laughs) But eventually we got back in a cab. um, And then I was well aware that the clock was ticking. And I wanted that cab driver to drive so freaking fast. I ran upstairs. And my sex worker was waiting for me. He looked a little skittish that his client was not there. <laughs> and so, I get it. <laughs> I totally get it. He was standing there. He looked so adorable. He had like a huge gift bag that I later found out had the sex toys in them, which I thought was <laughs> was appropriate. So we went inside and it was like a little giggle fest at the beginning because I was like, okay, I've never done this. <laughs> we knew beforehand that these guys didn't speak English. And, you know, obviously we don't speak Japanese. So I got out the good old Google Translate and I was like, I've never done this before. You show me what to do on Google Translate. (laughs) (laughs) And then he basically ushered me to the shower because that's what you do. Each of you shower first. Separately, right? Yeah, separately. So I went first. I showered. I was just grinning the entire time, staring at myself in the mirror in the bathroom like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. And then uh, (laughs) I went out and while he was showering, I took a couple kind of hilarious selfies in the mirror, which I will post. Don't even worry about that. There will be (laughs) my my pre happy ending massage photo on the Internet. So, yeah, then he came back out. And I think, Sophia, you probably, it sounds like you spent more time on your actual massage, but we didn't have that much time. So there was a little bit of a massage. She massaged my back a little bit. And then kind of it was just right into it. He kissed the sucking technique on my body and he kissed a little bit on my boobs. And then... He actually tried to kiss me on the mouth, which was very like reverse pretty woman because I was like, oh, I, this, I was not expecting this. OK, <laughs> no, 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 thank you. <laughs> I think he thought he was in a porn because you're like, I've never done this before. Can you teach me? <laughs> he was like, yeah, I've seen a lot of porns that start just like this. <laughs> I do feel like I sort of set it up that way by being like, I don't know. I've never done as if I've never had sex. Come on. But yeah, he had like three or four sex toys with him and 
two bottles of lube, which I thought was so, oh, I guess one, probably oil and water. That makes sense. But I was like, damn, he must have thought he needed a lot of lube. <laughs> How much lube did this guy think he was going to need? Um, <laughs> oh, this is something that Hiroko did not mention before, but there's actually a little bit of oral that happens. <laughs> did you know that that was going to happen, Sophia? I think I just thought that that was like a part of it, I guess, because I'm like anything that like gets you lubed up for fingering or whatever. I'm like, yeah, they could probably look a little bit. I was totally surprised. So, yeah, that happened. It was just a few little kitten licks. It was just like <laughs> a, a kitten cleaning itself. It was so cute. <laughs> little flutter, Same. flutter licks. <laughs> Um, which I found really endearing and Sophia and I were joking around later and we were like, you know, they can't, you can't do the whole thing. They would get tired. They have a lot of clients every night, you know? Yeah. They're just going to give you a little tasty taste and then move on to the, to the main act. Yeah. They just want you to feel appreciated. So yeah, then he went in for the major toy action and not even a humble brag, but just a full-on brag, is that, you know, I feel like sex was on the table. <laughs> I feel like I could have got a freebie. You know what I mean? <laughs> Courtney is so vain. I think he was ready to put his penis inside you for sure, but you were just like, oh, no, thanks. I'm not really interested, which he was very respectful of. That's nice. Yeah, I feel like, honestly, if I wouldn't have had a boyfriend, it could have ended, you know, even happier. Who knows? <laughs> Was this the right amount of happy? Like jolly straight up, would you say? Yes, Sophia, you know, we were straight up walking on air the next day. And I remember being in my bed at the hotel, looking out at the full fucking moon as this dude was servicing me and thinking that I had the coolest boyfriend ever who gave me permission to do this and like that it was so fun that I was with my best friend in Tokyo. I'm sorry to think about you while I was having like doing <laughs> sexual stuff, Sophia, but Honestly I did. flattered. <laughs> and then I hear a freaking knock at the door and Sophia's dude was there. So that was the end of that. <laughs> I did not know that he had just like walked in and went all the way up because I was just chilling in the lobby. And then Courtney texted me. She was like, your dude's already up there. And I was like, oh, shit. So and then I saw her <laughs> when I went up there and I was like, how was it? And then she just gave me two thumbs up. <laughs> I was like, did I? That's so funny. Yeah. I was like, that's not really helping me, but okay. <laughs> so then I went inside and my dude is there and he's like so pretty, you guys. I think he's wearing lip gloss and like a little bit of eye makeup, which I appreciate. I like it when someone tries to look nice for me. And he is like bleached like curls like that he curled mm. with a fucking curling iron. And I'm like, I don't even know how to use a curling iron. This motherfucker, seriously looking really cute. And then I get in there and he's like, shower? And I was like, oh, you you go. And he's like, no, you go. And it was pretty cute. And then he went first and then I showered. I mean, the showers are so tiny, Courtney. Like, it's not like we could have showered together even if we wanted to. Like, I think I dropped the soap totally. there like day one and I just never picked it up again because I couldn't. <laughs> I was like, I can't bend over. I'm too tall for this fucking shower. And uh, yeah, anyway, but he and I showered separately and then I came out and kind of laid 
face down on the bed, which is what he indicated. And then he put massage oil on my back and just like very barely massaged me for like three seconds. And then he started doing this sucking, kissing technique down my body, which is the same thing that your dude did to you. It's one of their trademark moves. Yeah, it's one of the clit commanders, I think, like patented techniques. And like the sucking kisses are like audible. They're not just like silent. They're like, they're like audible. (laughs) So this motherfucker kisses up and down like my body. And then he does this other thing, which is like butterfly kisses with his fingers He just like barely touches my whole back and like ass and stuff. And it totally makes all your nerves tingle. And it's like really nice. And then I know it's way more intense than you would think, right? Yeah, it's so simple, but it's clearly another patented click commander technique and it works great. And then he flipped me over and like tastefully covered up my boobs, which I was like, that is so sweet. And the whole time he was doing stuff to my back, I could feel his like boner on my body. And I was like, that is so sweet. He has like a respectful (laughs) boner, but he like never tries to do anything with it. I was like, bless you. And then, yeah, so he flips me over and he covers my boobs and then he spreads my legs and then he starts licking uh, my vagina. And I was like, oh, my God, this is really nice. And it was very relaxing and it was kitten licks. And then he whips out his arsenal of sex toys, which I can't see because I'm just like laying back. But I definitely feel this like clit sucker thing. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then he takes out like different vibrators and he like goes at it. And I come the first time and I'm like, oh, my God, this is great. Thank you so much. And I'm about to like pack up my vagina and leave. And he's like, no not finish and I was like oh okay (laughs) and then he gets out some more toys and then he goes out my fucking pussy and then I come three more times I come four times total and at the end I'm like exhausted and I'm like finish and he's like finish and I was like please finish and he was like okay and he let me be done which was very nice of him I was waiting outside first of all I went down to the lobby while Sophia was was getting serviced but I looked totally creepy just hanging out down there at like 1 a.m. And so I went up a little bit before, like five minutes before Sophia was done with her appointment and just waited outside so I could overhear them when they were at the end, like thanking each other, like, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> just back and forth forever. And then after they figured out the thank you, then they moved on to no, you shower. No, you shower. No, you shower. No, you shower. It was like a hundred times. It was so funny. I was um, like, oh my God, then- are we dating? This is so nice. <laughs> <laughs> then I saw on the bed while Sophia was in the shower, there were like fucking seven or eight toys on the bed. It was like such an arsenal. And one of them was like this huge, like almost looked like a Kong toy, like a dog Kong toy. It was, <laughs> I was like, what did he do to her? Is she okay? <laughs> And then Cordy was like, they were all glistening, like from lube. I was like, no, they were glistening from the four comes, Courtney. That's <laughs> that's what happened. But he was so sweet. And in the end, we just like thanked each other. And he, I was like, thank you. And he was like, no, thank you. And then I was like, no, thank you. And he was like, thank you. Very sexy. And I was like, oh, that's very nice. He said like five words to me, and they were all the right words. <laughs> really perfect. And then he accidentally forgot his watch. So I'm mailing that back to him yeah Sophia was joking that it was like 
he paid her for sex. And then I was like, okay, bitch, send that send watch back. back now. <laughs> That's not what we do on this trip. They get paid, not us. <laughs> so, yeah, it was an amazing, amazing experience. You know, if you've been listening to this podcast on the last day of the trip, we always get in a fight like we are not <laughs> speaking at the airport. And this time we were like skipping hand in hand off to sushi together. We were having a blast. It and was so funny and so different. Usually like the last day, like something happens. And by the time we are in LAX, we're just not speaking at all, <laughs> which can be awkward if you're sitting next to each other. You know what I mean? <laughs> but this time uh, was different. We were just like walking on air for at least 48 hours after just like high fiving strangers in Japan, just kissing people on the mouth during Corona, just being like, yeah, we had the best fucking time. And then what happened on the plane court? Oh, my God. This is so funny. So <laughs> I was incredibly turned on by this whole thing. And it was just opening my mind to everything, you know, about opening up your relationships, sex work, everything. The wheels were turning. So I found this porn on YouPorn or something. And it was this couple and they had hired a prostitute to be their third. And it was this really kind of sexy homemade video. And I was watching it in its entirety <laughs> on the plane. <laughs> and I got totally found out by these like schoolboys. These Chinese schoolboys were totally clowning on me, making fun of me, telling all their friends that I was watching a porn. They were pointing at me. It was so funny. <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. But it did open our minds, right? Like, do you think about clients of sex work in the same way that you did before? No. I feel like, yeah, I mean, all the jokes aside, this really did open up our minds because I think both of us were in a place where uh, we never judged sex workers ever. No. You're always like, get your money, do what you got to do. But I think we had this weird prejudice like against men that bought sex work. Like if any of our comedian guy friends would tell stories about getting a happy ending massage, we'd be like, oh, my God, that's so sad. They must be so lonely to be buying a car. Yeah, cum. just like, oh, they have to pay for sex. It didn't seem like an empowered decision that you would make to us necessarily. And after having been through it, it's like, oh my God, amazing. And also as women, you know, to have your pleasure taken so seriously that you are worthy of not only being the focal point, but commanding pleasure like that. It, it was just, it felt really powerful. Yeah, it was really incredible. I don't think that now that we have bought sex, I don't think there's anything sad about it whatsoever as long as the person who you bought sex from is there willingly and not being exploited. And that, I think, was kind of a really big shift for us. I want to ask you, Sophia, did your sex worker seem like a happy sex worker? Yes, definitely. Uh, I think he definitely did. And I don't think it would be enjoyable if the person who you hired was not happy to be there and or wasn't there of their own volition. So obviously, like, that's the big thing with sex tourism, right? That's the dangers that the people who are sex workers are trafficked or are not there of their own accord. And that is not the feeling we got with these guys, right, Court? No, no, they seemed very happy. I mean, when Hiroko was even telling us about it, 
she was saying that like thousands of dudes auditioned for these slots. So like they wanted to be there. Yeah. When the clip commander opened his academy, he got like 2000 applications because <laughs> dudes were like, yeah, I will definitely jerk a lady off. Can I do it for free? <laughs> yeah. And I get paid and I get this Rolex. Thank you very much. I will. I will do this job. It's awesome. And I mean, it's just so cool because so they, he got thousands of applications, right? He only accepts some guys into the training program. And then at the end of the program, the dudes uh, have to take a test where they have to uh, get a lady off. And at the end, she grades them. And if she doesn't grade them highly enough, they don't pass and they don't get to work at the agency. <laughs> Is that not the best job you've ever heard of? <laughs> That's the best job, and oh my god, would that not scar you for life if someone was like, no, your sex is not professional level. I love it. It's so much power to get a dude to jerk you off, and afterwards you're just like, eh, C minus, next. <laughs> oh Go my get god. a job at Denny's, bitch. Seriously, like, yeah. you don't have the skills, okay? Your fingers uh, are not up to the task, buddy. Anyway, Wow. We were just buzzing. I mean, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like now that buying a release like that should be something that women have access to in America. Oh, my God. I encourage you, if you're a woman who's listening, I did not consider myself a potential client. Like when we talked even about, you know, host clubs or whatever, when I was thinking of the clientele, I was thinking of older women, women who didn't have a partner. You know, I didn't think that it applied to me. And now having been through it and seeing how actually it doesn't have anything to do whether you're single or in a relationship, it was just, I don't know. It was just a experience that changed me on like kind of all levels sexually. I agree. And it also made me feel like, you know what, if my partner, if like Max ever wants to get a happy ending massage or like an HJ or like anything, I don't think that I care at all. Because now that I've had it, that release is so different from like any kind of a romantic relationship that I think I there's no way I would feel threatened by that. And it's something I feel like I would definitely be open to trying together. I know. Me too. Yeah. Hence the porn. Um, <laughs> it was so interesting. If you listen to our episode that we did, that's called Raising Hell with Soldiers of Pole. That's the stripper union, by the way. But Yes, that's the stripper union. And in that episode, we talked to Selena, the stripper on Instagram. She goes by at Pretty Boy Girl. And she writes these amazing passages about sex work and just kind of about her own life and journey. And she wrote this post that I saw right after we got home. And it was about how she is healing some sexual trauma from her past by getting happy ending massages. And I thought that was so interesting. And I can see how it could be so healing for a lot of women and a lot of people in general. It's so powerful to have something happen to you that's on your terms that gives you pleasure. As a woman, I think frequently we don't get to determine our own sexual uh, independence and we don't get to determine our own sexual experiences. Sometimes they're dictated by other people or forced on us. So it really did feel amazing to be in charge. Yeah, totally. And another thing is 
if you've been listening to this podcast, you know, as we've had guests in the past have come on and talked about polyamory and open relationships, you've heard myself and also Sophia be curious about it, but not necessarily understand how that could fit into our own relationships. And going through this experience, I don't know, it just all felt totally on the level. I got permission from my dude. And I It was so interesting to me that as I was having the experience, one of the emotions that I had was being so grateful for having such a fucking cool partner and just feeling completely blissed out on that connection. And the next day, I wasn't thinking about the sex worker, though he did a marvelous job. I was thinking about how amazing my partner was. And that is something that I was not expecting. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. It is kind of a wild feeling that it is so much closer to a massage than it is to an emotional connection. And just getting an experience where you get to feel so much pleasure that you know your partner is completely supportive of makes Mm -hmm. you feel so good. I mean, I just was like, I have the coolest fucking husband in the world. How did I even luck out with somebody like that? Because when I called him to ask permission, he just laughed and he was like, yeah, go come. (laughs) (laughs) And that's awesome. That's the coolest thing ever. And then when I got home, all I wanted to do was tell him about it and use like my newly charged up sex energy to like have sex with him you know yeah totally I had sex with Wade like immediately when I got back and as we were high-fiving each other on our last day one of the things that we kept saying to each other is like isn't my husband the coolest isn't my boyfriend the coolest and it's surprising how it can kind of invigorate your relationship totally so I feel like this experience opened us up in so many different ways. I want to give a big thank you to Hiroko because she is the queen who laid the gauntlet down and I could not be more thrilled. This was amazing. Totally. Thank you, Hiroko. And thank you for hitting up the agency on our behalf and arranging the actual meeting because we don't speak Japanese. We could not have done that (laughs) by ourselves. So you're a queen in so many ways. You guys follow Hiroko TV on Instagram. Definitely follow Hiroko and huge thank you to our dudes if you want to dm us for a recommendation on who to see uh from the agency feel free i would happily endorse my dude he was an excellent erotic masseuse are you kidding me four comes in less than 70 minutes my dude can have all of the yelp reviews in the world i will skywrite it five stars So we hope this ending was as happy for you guys as it was for us. The whole Tokyo experience has been incredible. If you haven't listened to the rest of the series, definitely go back and check them out. We have some of my favorite interviews to date. And what's up next, Sophia? Oh, we're so excited. You guys are going to hear an interview with the director of Queer Japan, Mm -hmm. which is a really interesting documentary that we got a chance to see. 
And uh, after that, we're going to be checking in with some of our quarantine friends around the world, like Hiroko and her mom, and some of our Helsinki friends and Mexico City friends. So if you still want to keep traveling vicariously through us, this is a great way to do it. Yeah, totally. And Sophia and I have been using the lockdown to plan future trips. And I got to say, the list is looking amazing. Are you not so excited? We have Bangkok, South Africa, Antarctica. What? So excited. We want to see what those research scientists that are stationed there forever are up to sexually. I know they're freaks. I know they're freaks. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking in the snow. I know you guys. (laughs) And if you want more freak content, Courtney and I are taking the hashtag Kama Sutra challenge which we've just invented if you're locked up in quar with your partner and you're looking to get freaky or if you're alone and just want to listen to people get freaky join us on our Kama Sutra challenge journey we will be talking about it every week hey Sophia what's that bomb ass music I'm so glad you asked this music is by our awesome friend Amy Rosh find her on Spotify R-A-A-S-C-H This episode was mixed by Mike Castaneda from Plastic Audio. We love you. Mike, 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 Mike. Tiny labia edition. All right. (laughs) And now it's time for the review of the week. Dun, da, da, dun. Okay, this is a good one, you guys. It's called All My Fave Things, Five Stars, from JC Love. Sex culture, travel, and a little homage to Tony Bourdain. I love it. Thank you for combining such a wonderful mashup of topics in a unique way. Ah, thank you for your awesome review. That's so sweet. You're welcome. And thank you. Yeah. And if you guys want to shout out on the podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us five stars and a really sweet review. And we might shout you out. All right. See you guys next time. Bye. Bye.